0: more than once actually do I have to say yes you do in the car
2: before my kids
0: PTA meeting really yes excuse me what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky I never win and tell well there you have it you could get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com play for free right now are you feeling lucky no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details this podcast is part of the sport social podcast network Thank you.
1: Welcome everyone to episode 26 at VAR at the Bar. My name is Chris and who am I with today? Hello, I'm Dan. I'm man. It's been a while, lads. How are you all? Refreshed. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, I can't complain.
1: Yeah, we've had our pre-season and now we're ready for another season of um, podcasts, hopefully, a bit more regularly. I had a bit of a busy summer with some interesting signings. What do you reckon then? You know, a few games in, who do you reckon's going to win win the title then? What do you reckon, Dan, as a Leicester fan?
2: I have to say that Chelsea have made a very strong start. Mm-hmm. Um, the signing of Lukaku has really given them um, a lot of impetus going forward now, and it just seems to be coming together for them. They're playing, they're looking really solid. Chelsea, are. so that that'd be my tip for the title, despite what I said on the last pod. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what about you, Am? Um?
3: Um, yeah, I sort of echo what Dan just said, really. I think I think it's going to be tight. I, I think if Liverpool keep everyone fit, they're going to be up there. Um, if Solskjaer can keep everyone happy, they'll definitely be up there. And Man City will, will be up there eventually. You know, they will. Oh, yeah. but I think that's it. I think it's that top four. It's going to be a closed shop this year. Yeah. I can't see anyone else getting in there.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think it's those four... I don't think Leicester are gonna finish in the top
1: four <laughs> or even come close this year. No. Well, some dodgy refing decisions, I think, in Leicester get uh Leicester Brighton, especially. But <laughs> well, we are called V A R at the bar, so let's talk about V A R,
2: shall we? Yeah, there's there some I mean, I can't believe that first goal stood. He's been pulled to the ground as he's pulled, his flailing arm goes up in the air and he gives a handball. It's and then on review they decide it is a handball, not a foul. It's just ridiculous.
1: Yeah, Harvey Barnes needs to know how to stay onside on, side on set, set plays as well <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean part of me feels like he was interfering with the keeper a little bit and that's probably a foul but then they say they gave it for offside but the, the second one especially he's nowhere near in line with the goalkeeper's eye line he's out of the way so I didn't agree with that decision either
1: Yeah, yeah What do you reckon with Top scorers at the moment, do you think it's a two horse race between Lukaku and Cristiano, or do you think there's going to be a few more people in with a shout? With that, I uh, wouldn't count out Mo Salah, he's he's going to be away for about six games. <laughs>
3: That's a
1: good African point. nations,
3: yeah, like that doesn't matter, score a few hat tricks. So <laughs> Harry Kane's gonna score eventually, yeah, yeah. You know, he does this every season. He has a he has a barren spell,
1: isn't it? Didn't he used to have the? Was it August? Right August, there? yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the curse of August for him, and then he always used to start banging in hat tricks, didn't he? September.
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's overcome that now. But um, Spurs are struggling. They're a bit up and down, aren't they? Mm-hmm. A couple of good performances, and then a couple of terrible outings. So don't we're going to get with them at the
3: minute.
2: Well, I, I well their the good performances came when they didn't have Kane in the team. So yeah, sure. <laughs> that, that tells you something, doesn't it? Well,
0: <laughs>
2: not, I'm not going to read too much into that. No, no, you? no, I'm not. It's either. A, but... It's a good spot. <laughs>
3: <laughs> he doesn't seem to be playing up front at the moment. put it that way, Kane. Oh yeah, Spurs. out I've the road half at times, aren't they?
1: Yeah, it's going to be an interesting game then versus Arsenal.
3: I think Arsenal edge it one nil.
1: I've got. I'll go for a high-scoring draw.
2: <laughs> no, I think I think goals are going to be hard to come by in that one. Probably, probably go with Ant actually on the one-nil Arsenal. From mm-hmm. what I've seen so far in the recent turns of form.
1: Has anyone impressed? Any teams impressed you at all?
2: Uh, Brentford have. They've made a good start. They've kept yeah. it pretty tight at the back, and uh, the Tony's hit the straps now. The last couple of games. Yeah, yeah, they they look like they, they they're going to do enough to avoid the drop. they they have got a tougher run of games, haven't they? I think the next yeah. four or something yeah. like is it um, Chelsea, Liverpool, West Ham, Leicester, something like that? Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: Brighton, Brighton started well as well. Yeah. Oh yeah, been very impressed with them. But it's I it's... did I did think they'd have a good year this year. It's it's been coming for them.
3: Yeah, yeah. I've said for a few seasons now that all the pieces will eventually click into place. Yeah that's good
2: to see,
1: yeah i mean they've they've been they've been assuring haven't they really, with the amount of chances that they've been creating. It's just a matter of them actually scoring them, and now it just seems like they're taking them a bit more now, doesn't it, yeah, yeah. right, then guys, the agenda for uh tonight's episode then is um good, bad obscure, I believe that's you, Dan, is it?
2: It is yeah, got something
1: lined up, yeah, good stuff, then with the top five worst kits for this year. Then our our top 10, which is the um, best English player abroad. And then obviously in between that, we'll have to talk about fantasy football. I'm sure one of us will be happy talking about it at the moment. (laughs) Uh, But obviously we'll let you know later who that will be listeners. And also the quiz to finish off. So if you don't mind starting us off there, please, Dan, with the Good, Bad, Obscure.
2: Right. So this week's entry for Good, the Bad, the Obscure, I mentioned to Anto last week that I had someone lined up, someone that um, I think really deserves to be talked about in this piece. And I'm surprised that he's not, I don't think his name's been brought up on the podcast at all to date, um, which is surprising for um, a big character like this. But the guy I've got this week, it's Jose Luis Chillibert. (laughs)
3: <laughs> oh, yeah, legend
1: great choice
3: yeah
1: I must admit I have considered you know when we went on this run of goalkeepers that you two <laughs> were just palming off each other for like 10 episodes I did look at him but then I thought no <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah yeah I was thinking the same when we were doing all these goalkeepers I thought I've got this one in my back pocket <laughs> but yeah here we go so, um, yeah, Chilivert, he made his professional debut in Paraguay in 1982 for Sportivo Lequeño, and he won the Premier Division title there with Guarani in 1984. He then spent three seasons with San Lorenzo in Argentina before he moved to Real Zaragoza in 1988. Now, um, Chilivert was one of the pioneers of the sweeper-keeper. Where he used to like to come far out of his box and play about with the ball at his feet, but then... He just seemed to keep going further and further and he was happy to come out and spray the ball about like a midfield player. And the Zaragoza fans used to scream at him to get back in his goal because he used to frighten them to death. He was just so confident in his own abilities. He kept going further and further and wanting to have more and more influence on a game. Uh, he also used to practice in training extensively, penalties and free kicks. And eventually they gave him the job of real in matches. And he scored a penalty for Zaragoza before he eventually moved on to Velez Sarsfield in Argentina. Now, he had a 10 year spell there from 1991 to 2001. And during that time, he helped them to win four Premier Div- Division titles the 1994 Copa Libertadores and the Intercontinental Cup. So he's very successful. And he actually notched up 48 goals during his time there. That was a combination of excellent direct free kicks. Uh, If you get the chance to watch some of them on YouTube, if you haven't already, well worth a look. And uh, obviously it was a penalty taking expert as well. There's one game where he managed to score a hat-trick, three penalties in the game, which was the first for a professional goalkeeper at the time. And he also scored a free kick from his own half against River Plate one game. (laughs) Another very memorable goal. Uh, He then moved on to Strasbourg in France. Uh, He had a a few seasons with them there and he got to the 2001 Coupe de France and fittingly uh, the game went to penalties and he scored the winning penalty and helped them lift the trophy there. And then his final year was with Penarol in the Uruguayan League and he scored four goals that season in helping them to win the Uruguayan Premier Division. Uh, He made 74 appearances for Paraguay between 1989 and 2003 and he scored eight international goals. He was the first goalkeeper to take a direct free kick in the World Cup Finals. Uh, He was voted the world's best goalkeeper in 1995, 97 and 98. And he won the Argentina Football of the Year in 1996, as well as the South American Football of the Year Award. So big accolades there. He's always been a strong, fiery personality, uh, both uh, captain at club level and international level. And he was famously sent off for brawling with Faustino Asprilla in a match uh, between Paraguay and Colombia in the mid-90s.
1: Wow. He... I, I, have to see, I need to see that. <laughs> I
2: think I remember that. I remember that happening.
1: <laughs> Sorry, Mary. That, that had to be stopped there. That's oh,
2: fine. Yeah, it's just one of those people that won't back down, will you Just
1: Oh, just both of them. About. You can just see it as well. I mean, the <laughs> South American temperament. Yeah. Uh,
2: he once um, attacked a physiotherapist and was given a suspended prison sentence. And he um, he actually he weighed in once on the Maradona versus Messi debate with a statement that Maradona didn't win 1% of what Messi has won. Which I thought was a very interesting and a very strong way of uh, supporting Messi in that argument. That tickled me a little bit. But he's also been regularly spoken out on topics of politics and corruption in Paraguay. Uh, he refused to participate in the 1999 Copa America which was held in Paraguay, complaining about the poor organisation and infrastructure of the event and stating that the government should spend all the money on education instead of football. And he defended media criticism of Paraguay coach Cesare Maldini in 2002 by telling him that 90% of sports journalists are incompetent. So, so the very people that are criticising the manager, he's told them that they're rubbish at the job basically. <laughs> Which I'm sure went down very well. Uh, in 2016, he was a guest commentator for the Copper America, but he was removed by the South American FIFA president, Alejandro Dominguez, after Chilovert on the air, accused him of corruption in the previous match. <laughs> and then my final note is that in 2020, he announced that he intends to run for president of Paraguay in
1: 2023. Oh, brilliant. So oh. we've not
2: heard the last of him either.
1: <laughs> right. We've got oh, well. another George Weah there, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, what a
2: legend! Oh. I know. It's it's crazy, a, isn't
1: it? Such a unique personality, wasn't he? You could see who he was.
2: It is, and he's got so much personality, which is amazing in itself. But then also, he was—he was really good at football, and you can yeah. forget that. It's like those those awards he's won best player in South America. That's that's incredible.
1: But I mean, you got to look at it to score free kicks. I mean, and it wasn't like the odd free kick. He was a regular free kick taker. <laughs> you know, amazing, really.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's, he's he's not far off David Beckham level with the quality of his free kicks. Yeah. I don't think he missed many penalties either, did he? Mm. I think he had a pretty good record.
1: I suppose it, I mean, you surprise us like that keepers don't do this more often because they would know where the player would put it. So you would have already that sort of knowledge of what, the keeper might be thinking because you're one themselves. Well, perhaps yeah. we need to
3: start putting strikers in goal then.
1: <laughs> well, there's a limit, mate. There's a limit. <laughs> Just a thought. Uh, Kyle Walker's good in goal. True. Wayne
2: Rooney was good in goal as well, apparently.
1: <laughs> and Pele. Well, Derby are short of players, so you never know, he <laughs> might be having to sign himself in. <laughs> no, thanks a lot for that one, Dan. Very good. I think it's uh, Ant with the next one, if I'm right.
3: Yeah, I'll have to get my thinking cap on.
1: Well, good, good. Right, the next uh, segment, top five worst Premier League kits. <laughs> so we, I think the criteria was this season's, wasn't it? That yeah. That we were looking at. I would like to start things off, really, in no apparent order, I guess, is there? Or have you decided to put them in from five to one? Not,
2: not really, no. No? Yeah. yeah, the the five I've got, they're pretty they're all pretty bad. So Yeah.
1: <laughs> that's good. Um yeah. And can you start us off please there, mate?
3: All right. I'll uh I'll get, in my opinion, probably the worst one out of the way first. Um that's Man City's third kit. Because yeah. it's it's not a kit, it's a no. flipping t shirt with their name blazoned across it. And I'm amazed they're allowed to get away with it, to be honest with you. It is like a cool. child designed it, it's terrible.
1: Yeah, I, I I got that one down. I just couldn't believe how poor that was, to be honest.
3: And it, it it's not just Man City, like there's other clubs. Um, whoever's sponsored by or made by Puma this year, like, I think um there's someone in Germany, I think it's got the same same design. It's just like it's not a shirt. It's it's, it's not yeah. a kit, sorry, it's just a t-shirt. It's, it's just a t-shirt, so cheap. yeah. Yeah.
1: I'm looking at it now, it's just horrible. And I'll be in back, it's almost like the designer like you give them a criteria of how much they've got to spend and it's like they've almost gone to the budget and it's like you literally stop now we can't fit any more in if
3: you stuck like i don't know, lonsdale in the middle of it yeah. it's in sports direct <laughs> in the bargain yeah. Aisle,
1: yeah.
2: You? <laughs> no but no, you, you, you know, i totally agree with what you're saying and it doesn't look like something you'd spend 40 pounds on it, lo- it looks cheap and tacky something you'd get in a bargain bin <laughs>
3: Dan shows have been 40
2: it? pounds for about 20 years <laughs> 55 quid these days yeah.
3: <laughs>
1: it's and it's got man city as well not even manchester city or anything it's just like
3: that was too much of too much of the budget chris manchester that's what
1: that's what i mean yeah <laughs> um dan um the man
2: united awake it
1: Oh, yeah.
2: looks like a broken computer screen. <laughs> <laughs> I actually quite like it. It's better than their recent efforts, to be honest with really. yeah.
1: you. Yeah, no, that's a good shout, mate. That's a good shout. I feel um, like my
2: eyes are going to break just looking <laughs> at that. No, I, mean, I, I don't know why you'd want to play in that.
1: <laughs> I know. It is a little bit odd, isn't it? I think they, they're trying to do what Fergie did so well with that grey kit, where instead of putting his team off, he wants it to put other teams off to blind them or something, confuse them. Yeah, I think it I think it'll work. I do as well. like Silly <laughs> day, you get that going out. Give people headaches, wouldn't you?
3: They <laughs> did that last year with the
2: zebra kit though, didn't they? That would have put me off. <laughs> yeah, that that was that was all bad as well.
1: Well, my second pick I'll put on this is um Palace's third kit. It's very copyright for Blackburn Rovers. It's like the <laughs> The blue, the blue and white.
2: I was very close to putting this on my list, but didn't, it, didn't I, I'm yet. surprised I,
1: copywriters I, haven't sort of knocked on their door and said, um, sorry there, Palace, but those those number, those colours have already been taken. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's a
2: really weird choice, isn't
1: it, for design? It is, especially the style with the colours. The, the, colors, colors that the style happy.
2: of it. Yeah. yeah. Why well, you yeah. go for like a split down the middle and then blue on one side and white on the other. That's not Crystal Palace to
1: me. No, where's that come from? Where are those colours come from? I <laughs> don't know.
2: Bizarre. It,
3: it looks, especially as, I'd say, it, it you'd, you'd probably argue it probably looks more Brighton than it does Palace, and Brighton are the rivals.
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Not, as a, you know, the colour scheme's not bad. I don't actually dislike the kit, but it's the fact that it's related to Palace. Exactly. I'm uh, yeah. like, no, well, where where's what, this come from?
1: Yeah, that's what, what confused, that's why I put it in, and it just looks like Blackburn Rovers. <laughs> Yeah, I was
2: exactly the same. I just looked at that kit and those colours and it irked me straight away. (laughs) I think that's what we're all trying to say.
1: Have you got another one there, Ant?
3: Yeah, I've gone Liverpool's third kit this year. It's yellow with red and... Yeah. red checkered collar
1: yeah
3: and i can't decide if it looks like a mid-90s mcdonald's uniform or or,
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: or a duster i can't decide which one
1: i mean all they need to have is the bad saying trainee with the nose star. <laughs> then they have got the full lights haven't we?
3: it just looks cheap to yeah. me it really does right. it looks like a fake shirt yeah
1: no I, I agree with you on that
3: one i thought that bright yellow one we had in the late 90s was bad enough but this one's horrific
1: <laughs> what about you there dad any more to add to the bin i mean to the list
2: well so. yeah yeah um so tottenham where do i start oh, with these? <laughs> yeah.
1: where do we start <laughs> i think we all got them on the list haven't we <laughs> um i haven't <laughs> You mean the ones that look like seats from a, a book? No,
3: nah, I thought it'd be different. <laughs> I, I've um, I'll come on to mine
2: later. <laughs> well, yeah. the, the, all the teams, I guess, are doing something different with the third kits. And yeah, there's a, there's a lot. There's a bit of a trend where there's some like, I don't know what you call it, colour wash mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. But to do it on your second strip as well, the way the proper away kit, where it looks like, I don't know what you call that, like a marble dye effect. Uh, that's just not professional in my opinion
1: uh okay is it me Okay. uh yeah i think so yeah i have to say leicester city's mint one i'm not a major <laughs> fan of it i don't know whether it's because the tagline this is mint was used and i thought <laughs> yeah, oh, it's a bit cheesy yeah very cheesy and i think that's just put me off it
3: <laughs> i don't think the sponsor helps i don't like the sponsor on it I don't. I don't like any Leicester shirts this year, to be honest, because because that mm. sponsor.
2: <laughs> no, I t- I kind of agree that it's not it's not my favourite year for kids at Leicester. Uh, the, the the only thing with the mint one is that I've slightly warmed to it because there's so many fans wearing it at the games. Oh, okay. And it's it's kind of normalised it a bit for me. It does look better
3: in person. I saw someone wear it the other day, mm. and I thought, okay, it's not too bad. Yeah, it's really popular. Actually, it's selling well.
1: Any more for any more? And.
3: Uh, yeah, was sticking with Spurs, I've actually gone with a home shirt because ah. I'm like be different. What? Because it's it just so boring. It's a plain white t-shirt with the logo stuck on it, and
1: they expect fans <laughs> pay 50, fifty
3: quid for it. No thanks. I think I'd rather have the tie-dyed one. Wow, <laughs> that's just my opinion. <laughs> There's just literally nothing on it. It's just white.
0: <laughs>
3: you know, just put a blue line on there somewhere. Anything. Something no, (laughs) I'm I'm not a fan of it. I like a bit of colour
2: on my kids. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough.
1: Dan Any more? Any more for
2: you? Yeah. So you're not going to like this one, but (laughs) the Liverpool away kit. Now, same as um same as when the Palace won. Just something about this that irked me, and that's that you you seem to have stolen the collars from the an old Republic of Ireland international shirt. And okay. I, now that now that I've seen it, I just can't unsee it. it. It just really annoys me. Why would you do that? You've got a big, thick green on the collar. It's big, thick green at the top, then a little white stripe and a little orangey colour. It's not even red. It's like orange at the bottom level of it. Yeah. And also, that collar is embarrassing. Why would anyone want to wear that out? I just can't get over the collar on that shirt. I'm sorry. <laughs> Fair enough.
1: I guess I guess that's because you said colour about five times. Yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> I actually quite like that shirt. I think it's one of our better ones in recent years.
1: Um, anyway, moving swiftly on, my last one is um, Leeds United's third kit. It's like Palmer Velvet velvet. You know the sweets that colour.
3: Palmer Violet.
1: Palmer, yeah, Violet one. Yeah, absolutely just purple. Again, I just don't know why, why Leeds have used that, to be honest, but that's my,
3: my my one anyway. Fair enough. Oh, I've been a bit different today. Um The other one I've got, again, I'm probably going to annoy people by saying this, but I've got my Man United's home shirt, because it just looks like a Sunday League team shirt to me, and I think it's the sponsor more than anything else. The rest of it's quite smart, you know, with the Adidas stripes and the red and stuff, but that sponsor just like like Dan with the collar on the Liverpool shirt, that sponsor just irks me, especially on that home shirt. Right. So that's oh, why. Team
1: it's,
3: yeah, it's just, this is Manchester United and they've got this pin pot zoom esque sponsor on there. <laughs> you know, they, they need a bigger name. They need a sharp or a you know Chevrolet. <laughs> well, yeah, that wasn't <laughs> pretty great, but <laughs> what about
1: you, Dan? As, Any more for you?
2: Yeah, just a couple more, a couple of other third strips, and that's the Chelsea third one, yeah, and the Arsenal one, which um, is a bit bizarre. Have you seen that one where it's uh, all these? It's like a jagged pattern, where it's like a yeah. multiple bolts of lightning flying through the shirt. <laughs> Combination of turquoise and navy blue. It's a bit, it's a bit bizarre.
1: Lovely.
3: Um, right. The only other one I've got is another third shirt, and that's um, Norwich, third one, which is sort of like a, it's like a pinky red with a black line down the middle that doesn't quite meet meet the middle. It just looks a bit stupid. It comes to about halfway down, there's a massive gap, and then you've got the sponsor, and then you've got a massive gap, and then you've got the black line again. And it, it, oh, it, yeah, just, yeah. It, it, okay. just, it just looks ridiculous. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah good shout. Yeah, that's a good one.
3: And again, where does Pinky Red come into Norwich?
1: True that, true that. <laughs> Is that everyone's? Uh, yep. Yeah. 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 All done. So, um, shall we get fantasy football over and done with, Dan? Because I think we've got somebody smirking like a Cheshire cat.
3: <laughs> so know. yeah, I was trying okay. to be quite modest to be honest. With you.
2: He's, he has to be honest, he's not been going on about it, has he? He's not, I mean, no, he's not. He knows it's, annoying long, messages, it's a long race. Yeah, I know I'm going to come on stuck. <laughs> yeah, but uh, five weeks in, and um, Ant is top of the lead. Get uh, in, <laughs> <laughs> but no, to be fair, he's been really impressive. He's He's been, I think, um. Week one, I was top. And then since then, it's been out all the way. Uh, 390 points. He's got a cushion of 18 points. But um, Altieb Hamid, who's uh, the guru from last year, closing the gap on you, Ant. Oh, no.
3: Where's uh, Where's Mr. Clerk de Cruz? I miss him. I didn't see yeah. him on the list this year.
2: No. Yeah. No, he's not joined us. He's um, took his trophy and ran, gone home. Yeah, no. fair play to him. <laughs> Uh, I'm down in eighth place, 335 points, and Chris is in eighteenth, around um, 304 points.
1: Well, it's quite tight there, then, Dan. So
2: yeah, we're like you say, Chris. We're only five weeks in. It's a marathon, not a sprint. All to play for still.
1: Yeah. The only problem is, I said this exactly the same thing last year. <laughs> it didn't end up quite too good. <laughs>
2: yeah, you're running on the spot in twentieth
1: place, weren't you? <laughs> yeah. I just couldn't move from it. It just didn't let me it's almost like oh no computer says no thank you
2: but you you have um moved up the league haven't you chris yeah Pictures i have yeah come i'm for actually a good week week. Of,
1: which is quite nice yeah good have good you uh, is there any tips and of people that you would suggest to add on to your team or have you just gone you're asking um, for help chris i am, I, am. <laughs> uh, I don't give
3: away my secrets mate <laughs>
1: I did see Ronaldo Fernandez on your team, which does add to quite a lot.
3: <laughs> no, Fernandez is out now. Oh, yeah, I've, I've, I've dropped him. I dropped no, him for Ronaldo,
1: there, mate. You can make these decisions. Well, too. I know. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Good, good.
3: It's all about Damari Gray, isn't it?
1: It is the cheap. The, <laughs> I think one of the deals of the summer, but <laughs> one point five million for him in real life, and about five million on the the fantasy league. So. <laughs> Take that. But it, oh, well done, I,
3: I, I will say that when I looked at Dan's team sort of Saturday morning, and you, you picked all these Wolves players, I was like, oh, fair point. Yeah, fair play." And then that didn't work out
2: quite so well for you. But luckily no, Arsenal came high, through for it? you, didn't they? So <laughs> yeah, it could have been a train wreck, but it wasn't too bad in the end. Yeah, I've gambled on Wolves because of the fixtures coming up. I think they'll turn it round, but it's a gamble. Yeah.
1: It's hard. It's hard picking them, isn't it? I mean, like I got rid of Barb and Tony, and then he's obviously doing quite well the last couple of weeks. I keep
3: sort of just keeps sort of thinking, shall I put Jimenez in? And then I don't. And I know whichever week that I literally don't put him in, he'll score like a hat trick or something. Yeah. And he'll,
1: he'll be. He'll, one of those he'll, he'll get there eventually. He'll get his first goal, and then it will just come. Floodgates will open. Then, yeah. Yeah.
3: And then I won't be able to afford him. <laughs>
1: I hate that when that happens. Right then, uh, moving swiftly on then to our top tens. So this is Englishman abroad. How did you find it, then, guys? Uh, I th- I found it pretty
2: tough actually. Um, my list has changed order a few times. Yeah. Uh, not it's not too bad in terms of getting the ten together, but um, it was it was hard to place them i I sort of had to set my own criteria a little bit in doing that.
1: Yeah, I mean it's bit it's very, very loose criteria with this one. Except obviously English. Uh if it was if I my original one was going to be Brits abroad, but then we would be here for a long time trying to negotiate a top ten for that. <laughs> um but no, what did you think to it and the same?
3: Yeah same as Dan. I, I more or less had nine nailed on just picking the right order
1: okay we'll get cracking then i'll start with you first then if that's okay please
2: yeah no problem so my number 10 is mark haitley oh
1: yeah
2: yeah okay so um he started his uh early days at nottingham forest but he was uh rejected as a youth team player by brian clough because he didn't think he was talented enough so the uh the six foot three target man striker was signed up by Coventry City. And there he made 93 appearances in the first division between 1978 and 83, and scored 25 goals with them during that time. He moved on to Portsmouth in the 83-84 season, who were in the second division at the time. And he really found his feet there at that level. He scored 22 goals in 38 league games. Now, was, uh, towards the end of the season, he was actually capped by England and scored a goal against Brazil in a 2-0 win. And this began to turn some heads of people abroad. And AC Milan decided to take a punt on this second division England striker. And they signed him for a million pounds in 1984. Uh, He scored 17 goals in 66 games over a three-year period in Milan. But he's best remembered for scoring the winning goal in a derby match against Inter. And it was their first derby win in six years. So that's uh, fondly remembered. Uh, we shouldn't overlook as well that he um, he was actually voted 22nd in the 1984 Ballon d'Or and 29th in the Ballon d'Or in 85. Now, after that three-year stint in Milan, he moved on to Monaco and joined uh, Arsene Wenger's team there in 1987. And he helped them win the league earned title that year, 87-88. In uh, total, he scored 22 goals in 59 appearances, so not a bad goal return again. And he came 14th in the Ballon d'Or in 1987, which is quite impressive. Uh, He moved on to Rangers in 1990 in a £1 million move again. Uh, Graeme Souness bought him, and it was a signing that actually worked out for Graeme Souness. So quite a novelty there. Got 87 goals in 165 games, and he helped Rangers win six Scottish League titles in a seven-year period. He was the football writers player of the year in 93 94 as well as the players player of the year. Uh returned to England to join QPR in 1995 in a 1 million pound move but he was uh past his best by this time and he uh it didn't really work out his his career started to wane at that point. Uh, he totally got 32 caps for England and scored nine goals between 1984 and 1992 but he um, he did have limited opportunities because he was playing second fiddle to uh, Lineker, Beardsley and uh, Platt into the 90s. But overall, it's hard to grumble at his um, success abroad, especially winning the uh, the league title in with Monaco and um, being voted 14th in a Ballon d'Or. So uh, quite impressive.
1: Yeah, I'll be honest with you. Um, for a long time, I always thought Mark Hayd was Scottish just because he <laughs> played at Rangers. <laughs> OK. But, but yeah, fantastic career, wasn't it? moving from division two to AC Milan unbelievable
2: yeah surprising they just took a punt on him um it wasn't they weren't um they weren't at the the heights peak. that we know them to be yeah exactly that's the word They weren't at their peak at that time they were rebuilding yeah. but they yeah just took a punt on him after they saw uh, this this big target man who could bully defenders and helped England beat Brazil
1: yeah, yeah. brilliant Right, then I'll mix it up a bit. I'll go next with a highly controversial one, guys. It's going to be Tony Cascarino. (laughs) He's an Irish international, but he isn't actually born in Ireland. That's your list. We'll have to let you have it. (laughs) Yeah. No, because I'll tell you the reason why. Because his father, he was actually adopted at birth, so he didn't have any blood relatives. And no one checked that up. And Jack Charlton was like, he brushed it aside. So you look it up. It's all on. It's all all there. It's so we're in calling
2: the, him an Englishman. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, he's an Englishman. He's from Orpington. <laughs> he's down, down Antsway.
2: My <laughs> um, my
3: ex-girlfriend's mum used to go out with him. See?
1: Mate, <laughs> I, I,
3: I can vouch for the Orkington bit. <laughs>
1: Right then, so anyway, he's my number 10. So, after playing for Gillingham, Millwall, Villas, Celtic and Chelsea, in his early 30s, he decided to move to France and he joined Marseille. At that point, Marseille were in Division 2. This was due to the max-fixing scandal that they were involved in. This was in 1993. He had three seasons there, netted 31 times in his first season, but due to the off-the-pitch activities still, they couldn't get promoted. So the following season, he did a similar um, amount, which was 30 times he scored. But then they were picked for the title by Camp. This time, Marseille were allowed to be promoted. But unfortunately, um, at that time, they were then obviously allowed to buy more players. So I think one of their purchases was Lechkov Bulgarian. And with that money and a change of ownership and direction, unfortunately, he surplus for requirements and moved to Nancy. Um, He made 84 appearances for Marseille, scoring 61 goals. Uh, The the Marseille fans nicknamed him Tony Goal. So anyway, he's at Nancy now and he played three seasons, making 109 appearances, scoring 44 goals. And he also became the oldest player to score a hat-trick. In France, at 37 years old, uh, finished his career actually in Division Three, a French team called Red Star 93. And I just think, just because of his scoring record in France, and that he managed um, to get a high amount. I know it was in a slightly lower division, but in Nancy, he was actually in the top league. That I put him there in the top ten, and because it's near the end of his career, and he made that jump
0: à poire
3: sans prêt Et ouais Et vite Tony
0: Castawillo, c'est bien Tony Cascarino qui met le deuxième
1: All right then, then,
3: Um I've gone with uh David
1: Platt. Ooh. <laughs> What's ooh He's my number four. Oh, okay.
2: He's number seven on my list.
3: Oh, okay. Do you want, do you want to talk about him now?
1: Yeah, we'll say talk that. about
3: him now. It's fine. All right. I've I've not written a great deal to be honest. Um, so after after an impressive World Cup, um, he he got this he drew drew the attention of um, Syria, and a year later he signed for um, Barry for five point five million. Um he hit an impressive eleven goals in, in his first season, but it wasn't quite enough to stop them from getting relegated. And so he was then forced to move on. Um, Juventus came came to his rescue and they narrowly beat Sampdoria to his signature. Um, but he only really he was only really a squad player in, in Turin. So then the following season, Sampdoria tried again, and this time they they got their man and he enjoyed um two successful seasons alongside his good mate Roberto Mancini. Winning the Coppa Italia under Svenger and Eriksson, and I think he scored something like um, yeah. He played 55 league games for Sampdor and he scored 17 goals. And I think by, by by the time he then came back to England with Arsenal, he was almost technically, you know, he he had everything: passing, dribbling, finishing the lot. That's why he was, he was such a good signing for Arsenal uh that's pretty much all i have
1: that's cool. yeah i've got that uh Marcini, mancini tried to sort of tap him up a couple of times <laughs> yeah uh, to get him to join Sampdoria. uh first time didn't quite work out and then i think he used his contacts to get him to Sampdoria. um that's really about all i can, can really add on that
2: uh, well, I'd add that when he was at Juventus, he it, although, although he was a squad player, he did win the UEFA Cup with them. And with Sampdoria, he won the Coppa Italia in 93-94. So that, that's why I put him a bit higher on my list.
3: I'm oh, sorry, I meant to say that. He won the Coppa Italia. missed a bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well added. <laughs>
1: yeah. But
0: sinistro, effettuare un cross sul quale stacca Platt poi Mancini...
1: Right, then, Dan, your number nine, please, mate.
2: Oh, number nine, I've gone for Glenn
1: Hoddle. Oh, my number six. My number eight. Oh, there we go. More or less the same sorts of area with it.
2: Okay. So, yeah, I'll just, I'll just put it as an overview. He was um, he was a very gifted English footballer, one of the most gifted players of his generation, uh, renowned for his balance, close control, vision of passing, tactical intelligence, and uh, he scored some stunning goals as well, which always helps. Uh, made his debut for Tottenham, age 17, in 1975, and he helped them get promoted back to the first division. And he got his uh, first England call-up in 1979. Uh, It was the 79-80 season that saw him really emerge as a top-class player. And he he scored 19 goals in 41 league appearances and won the PFA Young Player of the Year Award. Helped Tottenham win the FA Cup in 81-82, finished fourth in the league and reached the League Cup final. And the semi-finals of the Cup Winners' Cup, Uh, in 1983, they beat 6 2 on aggregate. And Johan Cruyff swapped shirts with him out of respect for his impressive performances. Uh, Tottenham went on to win the UEFA Cup in 1984 as well. So um, he was the the star man of the show as they went on to big things. Uh, The success continued at Spurs. They had strong league finishes and they got to the Cup finals, although Hoddle didn't actually win another trophy with Tottenham. And it was after the the Heisel incident where uh, English teams could no longer play in Europe after that, that uh, Hoddle expressed his desire to play abroad. And it was in 1987, he joined Arsene Wenger at Monaco for a fee of £750,000. Uh, so he was with Mark Hateley there and George Ware was in that team as well. In this first season, he won that league and title. And he was also voted the best foreign player in the French league when they won that title that season. Uh, his form seemed to improve even further and he contributed 18 league goals from 32 appearances the next season. And that's, that's from midfield. So that's quite impressive. Uh, but um, it was at the start of the 89-90 season that he suffered a serious knee injury and um, it was after that. He never really recovered. He couldn't play at the top level anymore. So he he returned to England when his contract was up. He trained with Chelsea just to get some fitness and then he became the player manager at Swindon. Uh, He guided Swindon to promotion, beating Leicester 4-3 in the 93 playoff final and then he was immediately recruited by Chelsea to become their player manager. And then that was when he made his final appearances in the Premier League. Um, he made 53 appearances for England and he was included in their squads for 1982 and 86, as well as the Euros in 1980 and 1988. But um overall, he wasn't really able to replicate his club form at international level. Uh, there is a strong argument though, a bit of one for one for debate, maybe, that um some of the England coaches didn't really appreciate his technical. Continental playing style, and at the time, it was a bit unfashionable. And hard men in inverted commas seemed to get the nod over technical ability and flair. Uh, so Ron Greenwood, in particular, when he was the manager, didn't favour Hoddle. And even Bobby Robson, when he first took over as England manager in uh, I think it was '82, he dropped Kevin Keegan from his first squad, <laughs> which was which was very controversial. Uh, one of his, one of the best players England had at the time. So, yeah, that's uh, that's what I've got on Hoddle. Um, I think he, he achieved quite a lot in the game. He was excellent at Monaco in those first couple of seasons. And uh, there's some great accolades there with the amount of goals he scored from midfield, winning the league on title, and being voted the best foreign player in the league. So that's why I've made him number nine on the list.
0: Yeah.
1: Now, the only thing I can add is that he could have joined PSG um, as well. He was managed by uh, Gerard Houllier. But he found that him and Wenger were on the same wavelength. And I think that's the the playing style's coming out again, isn't it? And Wenger let him play sort of I think it was attacking mid, the guy but just behind the front two, number ten role. And he just seemed to thrive on it, didn't he, by the signs of things.
2: Oh, ah, okay. No, that's really good.
1: Yeah,
3: okay. I I can't I can't add anything to that.
1: No, no. I think Dan's done yeah, a good job. He
3: was a great player. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Okay. So my next one so another sort of a bit of a wild card. Oh, Is he English? <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> Paolo Di Canio. <laughs> <laughs> May I, like I said, look up Wikipedia on the other guy, and you'll soon see it. He's doing it. He put it in his book. I will send you the link. Um, Bradley Wright Phillips.
0: Okay. okay.
1: All right. Is he on it's your list No. 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 Okay. No. So, obviously, as we know him as a graduate from the Man City team, Academy, sorry, struggled to be a regular there. So, he had a, f- a few, um, went on loan and full time moves, which included Southampton, Plymouth, Charlton, and Brentford. Then moved to the MLS with New York. Red Bulls in 2013. His first full season ended up top scorer, scoring 31 goals in 38 appearances, which saw him in golden boots. He then um, repeated that in 2016. Till the end of the 2018 season, he would net 124 goals in 210 games and was the first person to reach 100 goals in the quickest time. I think, beating the original best by six goals. And I think that was Juan Pablo Um, Angale. After his move in 2020 to LAFC, his shirt at New York Red Bulls, the number 99, has now been retired in honour of him. Still playing at the moment at Columbus Crew, um, which he signed for free this year. Um, but, yeah, I just thought I'd add him, add him on there just because I know the MLS isn't the sort of level that, we that you know, that we probably other players are, are we talking about, you know, or the Italian leagues or French leagues. But I just think he's probably worth a shout out because he's obviously worked really hard, took the risk of going to America and he's obviously done really well there and sort of fair play to him really, isn't it? That sort of goal scoring record, you still got to bang them in.
2: I'm, I'm blown away by those stats, to be honest, Chris. I think he's a great shout.
1: Yeah. He's, he's only 36 as well. Rightio. And what's your number now?
3: I've gone with uh,
2: Jaden Sancho. He's.
1: Is he no, not
2: on my list. Okay. Not on my list.
3: All right. I mean, I know he hasn't won anything at, at Dortmund, but I've, I've put him in because he sort of started the, the sort of trend for youngsters to go, like really young really young youngsters, go abroad and become really good players. I mean, we've seen it with Bellingham, obviously, and um, a couple of other ones that went over to Germany. But he, he started off at Watford. Uh, he moved on to Man City's um, academy side. And then he, he became the standout player at the Euros, the uh, under-17 the under, the under 17 Euros in 2017. And he sort of feared that he probably wouldn't really get into the first team at Man City. So he was allowed to sign for Dortmund for £7.5 million. First season was a bit interrupted by injury, um, but he did manage to break into the first team and he scored his first senior goal. And then his second season, he quickly pushed Christian Pulisic out of the first 11. And he finished with 12 goals and a league high as 18 assists as Dortmund really ran uh, Bayern close to the title. And then, obviously, then got promoted to the England first team. Um, and in his sort of second full season with uh, Dortmund, he then got 16 goals and 17 assists in all competitions. And I think the season before we came, I think last season before he came to Man United, he got 16 goals in all competitions. And obviously, as we know, he has signed for Manchester United for 70 odd million. So clearly eh, they think highly of him and he's an England regular. So, yeah, that's, that's why he's on my list. I think it's been great for him out there.
1: Yeah, yep. I mean, the, the assists on that season, the 18 assists, fantastic record. My person I was oohing and aahing about him, but because I he's so young at the moment, I thought he might go back to back to Europe. So I thought I'll leave him out of this this particular list. He's um, probably
3: thinking why did he sign for Man
2: United when they <laughs> <out> though? But <laughs> well, <laughs> there you yeah. go. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: No, this is a great shout, and that's, that's no. his stats for assists in particular were outstanding, weren't they? Really yeah. put himself on the map out there. Played yeah. really well. He'll find his feet
3: at Man United, i have no doubt. Yeah. It's just whether He's he gets in the time, team. time,
1: isn't it? It's <laughs> got give him time. Yeah. Now Guerrero. It's still Guerrero. Brings Sancho with him.
2: Still Jaden Sancho! A lovely goal!
0: And perhaps one of the most crucial as well in a turbulent season
1: at Sign- Right, so Dan, your number eight,
2: please. All right, this one might upset you both a little bit. Number eight, I've gone for David Beckham.
1: He's my number eight.
2: He's my number six. Okay. All right, we're on a similar page then. All right, I've um I've kept it fairly brief because I think we all we all know a lot about Beckham. <laughs> so um at Man United, he won six Premier League titles, two FA Cups, a Champions League. But um he had uh, tensions with Alex Ferguson, and then it led to a move to Real Madrid in 2003 for £24.5 million. So he's joined Real Madrid, joined the Galacticos. And um, whether it's a criticism or, or not, I've put down, he was signed as a symbol of stardom, really, in joining the Galacticos. It was a, it was a big name, and I think that's why they've recruited him. But uh, Real only finished fourth in his first season with Real. And uh, Carlos Kios lost his job. Uh, next season, they finished second. And it was the 2005-2006 season which brought some uh, mixed fortunes because Be- Beckham was sent off three times that season in the league. <laughs> but he did finish with the most assists in the league that year, which is, is quite impressive. And Real, they um, gave Barcelona run for the money that season. They finished second to them, though. It was the final season of Beckham with Real Madrid in 2006-2007, where he actually found himself out of favour with uh, manager at the time, Fabio Capello. And he was used uh, sparingly. But um, he did play a part, and Real went on to win the La Liga title that year. Uh, During his time with Real, they didn't win a Champions League. But um, Beckham did move on to LA Galaxy, where he spent six seasons. And although, like Chris touched on, it's not football at the highest level, there was a there was a stat in 2013 that Beckham was the highest played footballer in the world at that point. So if he's had to go abroad to do that, that that in itself is um, it's worth merit. So yeah, I've put him down at number eight because I didn't think he was entirely successful in his moves. Um, but at the same time, he did play for Real Madrid. He did play at a very high level and um, did himself credit out there. So um, I, I just had mixed feelings about Beckham. And, where I should put him on the list. I've I've just gone for number eight in the end.
3: Yeah, Yeah. fair enough. That's kind of how I felt about him.
1: I think... 100%. I mean, how on earth you look at that Real Madrid team in that era and they hardly want anything. I know you had Barcelona up there as well, but with that, Figo, Zidane, Ronaldo, and yet they still couldn't get over the line only the one time. It was just unbelievable. I echo all those thoughts. Really, what you said about, about it. I mean, obviously, the move to America was very commercialised. It wasn't. You could have probably gone to any country and would have got just as much.
2: Yeah, I, I, maybe I didn't word it very well. I'm just trying to nod that it was. Um, it was. A, it was a success for commercial reasons, not, not yeah. necessarily for. What oh I mean. yeah, incredible!
1: I mean, the way that it yeah. raised the profile in that in the MLS now, and you see another. Famous players going over now to follow suit, haven't you? Now, you know, Pirlo's done it, Kaka. Yeah, yeah,
2: you know, so, so, so. I give him credit for that, and I think he does, yeah, well credit for that.
1: But yeah, on the balance of success, you, yeah. yeah, I totally agree, and that's why I'll put him at my number eight as well. So, okay. um,
2: I didn't think I wasn't sure you were both going to go that way with it, but no, so.
1: no, yeah. I mean, I think with
3: Beckham, it, you know, it, it doesn't really matter what he won in football, does it? Because no. he was just. You know, he was just a star. He was. Yeah. He, it was beyond football, wasn't he? He's yeah.
1: Just, I mean, yeah apparently yeah. as well. Was am I right with PSG? He didn't he, he gave all his wages to charity as well, or a lot of his wages went to UNICEF when he something went like,
3: Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. I mean
1: just shows he's a good guy as well, and yeah. You know, he just enjoyed playing football.
2: Absolutely, yeah. You bang on with that. Twenty-five yards out. You mentioned the Hollywood script. His first start. Can he deliver his first goal?
0: that looks about 25 yards out to me, Mark. He's got about six people on the wall covering the near side, Troy Perkins does. Kenny Bendy. Back up! Oh, it's
1: in the left! It's in the left! and then you're on number eight, please, mate.
3: Uh, I'd Glenn Hoddle.
1: Oh, brilliant. Okay. Straight back over to you for number seven. Well, my
2: number seven was David Platt. Oh, okay. No. Bit of tennis. (laughs)
1: Over to you. Okay, yeah. Mine is a guy called Joey Hitchens.
2: Yes, I've heard heard of him. I didn't actually put him on my list in the end, but I was going to give him an honourable mention. Name rings a bell. I I, I don't really know anything about him, though.
1: Yeah, okay. I'll let you know a bit about him then. So he played for Kidderminster, Cardiff and Villa before joining Inter Milan in 1961. Uh, He cost them £85,000. He was actually seen by Inter scouts after watching England beat Italy 3-2, where he scored twice for England. He uh, scored two goals on his debut, got the nicknames Alcane, the cannon, and El Principe del Gigardo di Charolo the Prince of Football, for his impressive performances. So in his first first season at Inter, he finished top scorer and won Serie A. And also internationally, only because of injuries and loss of form with some of the players, he was called up to face Switzerland just before the World Cup in 1962. And a, and a goal was enough for him to be called up in, into the squad for the World Cup. Uh, England actually reached the quarterfinals that year. He played seven games and scored five times. However, uh, with regards to uh, future England international call ups, uh, England changed manager at that time, and Alf Ramsey said that he wouldn't allow English players that were playing out of England to go in any of the squads. So that unfortunately was one of his last caps. But anyway, back into his club form, uh, the following season, he moved to Torino in 1962, where he'd spent two and a half years there, notching 28 goals in 69 games, then spent another two seasons at Atalanta as well. So overall, he spent eight seasons in Italy, and that's the longest that any English uh, footballer has ever spent in the professional era. And he just wanted to move away from England just for a different culture and just to see different things from the normal, uh, you know, bread and butter that they got in England. I think he was from a mining family as well. So it was all a bit very different lifestyles. He did struggle at the beginning. Um, but as you, as you, as I've said, he ended up being top scorer, scorer first season. So he did very well. That's why I put him quite high up because obviously he sort of was a bit of a trend setter. And he moved at the same time as uh, Jimmy Greaves as well. And they used to uh, meet up um, because Jimmy Greaves played for AC Milan. He played for Inter. So they used to just go to the pub and just sort of socialise together. But then obviously Jimmy Greaves left, left quite quickly. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so so that's my number seven. Oh,
2: that's a great shout, that one.
3: Yeah, I didn't actually come across him when I was researching this
1: yeah yeah it's good interesting story here's someone going abroad abroad as well i'd never really heard of him until i did the re- my research on it so no good work okay, okay mate and
3: my number seven is gary lineker he's my number Oh, my number six oh, okay,
1: there, there we go We're all in harmony today.
3: So after winning the Mexico 86 Golden Boot, um, he was obviously very well sought after, and it was uh, Terry Venables that snapped him up for Barcelona. And he became an instant hit at Camp Nou. He got a hat-trick in in the El Clasico, and he finished his debut season with 21 goals. Uh, He also managed to put four past Barca keeper and Doni Zubizarreta as England beat Spain 4-2 in Madrid. Uh, His second season, um, he managed to get another 20 goals for Barcelona as they won the Copa del Rey. However, his third season saw the arrival of a certain average player called Johan Cruyff, and uh, he was moved to the right of midfield, but he still managed to win the European Cup Winners' Cup and score 11 goals. Obviously, seeing his opportunities uh, a little bit limited, he returned to England uh, with Venables again. Tottenham Um he had another successful World Cup and spell in North London and then he decided to go to Japan to finish his finish his career um, and yeah he, he sort of had two injury hit seasons out there but you know you can't knock his achievements in Barcelona.
1: Went under the radar a lot didn't it to be honest it wasn't a well-known um, transfer that he went to Barcelona. And El tried to bring in a few more British players. I think Steve Gold, yeah, (laughs) Mark Hughes. He's trying to, you know, get lads hardworking, gritty guys. (laughs) But yeah, it's nice to see that he was given the Emil Hesky role at England (laughs) (laughs) as (laughs) well. Which, yeah, Yeah. fantastic record though. Twenty goals in the first two seasons.
2: Yeah, and he got he got a hat-trick against Real Madrid as well. Yeah. Just a, yeah, he's a fantastic player. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: Uh, I put, I've made a few more notes on his um, career before his move, uh, just to give a bit of foreshadowing, where um, obviously he started out at Leicester City and he, he got them promoted. And then when they were in the top flight, he actually um, got the Golden Boot Award in 84-85, moved to Everton for £800,000. And um, <laughs> a funny note was that um, the first game for Everton was away at Leicester. And at half-time, he walked into the wrong dressing room. (laughs) (laughs) Made me laugh. I imagine it's easily done. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, at at Everton, um, they were beaten to the league title in FA Cup by Liverpool, but he he won the Golden Boot again and was voted the the Players Player of the Year and the Football Writers Player of the Year. And then the 1986 World Cup came where he won the Golden Boot and he came runner-up in the Ballon d'Or. And that was the point where Barcelona got the go-ahead to sign him so yeah it was obviously a it was a a top top striker what they signed as well for um it was 2.8 million so quite a big sum as well
1: that's a good shout that was it's a bit funny though we've obviously moved to Japan it was almost like a trend setting for Beckham wasn't it almost in a weird way you know going to another country where football wasn't their number one sport and he's trying to make it a worldwide worldwide thing and it's. I,
3: it, I think it's because his only other offer was Middlesbrough at the time so <laughs>
2: oh, I'll go to Japan then
1: um, yeah. He joined
2: them for £2 million as well and they only played 18 games <laughs> Felt a bit sorry for Graham per se, but, but not too sorry because I know that they um, they won a lot when Stojkovic joined a year
1: later <laughs> dream team <laughs> could have been played. okay then dan which one's your number six
2: that was linica
1: that was Lenica. i had Hoddle i had beckham ah okay so we'll go on to your number five then dan please okay I wasn't 100% that I was on
2: 10 foot of concrete with this one, but I feel a bit better after Chris went with Tony Cascarino.
1: <laughs> glad, that, glad that made you feel more comfortable.
2: <laughs> so my number five is Owen Hargreaves. Get out! Snap. Get Snap. out.
1: Uh, I've got it as well.
2: you <laughs> no, that, that, That's all
1: right. That's good.
3: I thought I was going to get some stick for putting him in, so I'm glad someone else has gone for him
1: no no oh, good he had about four to pick from didn't they countries to pick from so <laughs>
2: yeah he did yeah so um yeah he, he obviously grew up in canada and he signed for the Bayern munich academy in 1997 uh, He made some appearances for wales at under 19 level but then he, he switched to england and made um under 21 appearances for them uh, followed by a full debut Uh, shortly after making his debut for Bayern in August 2000. So um, the reason I put him on the list is that during his seven years with Bayern, he won four Bundesliga titles, three German Cups, a Champions League and an Intercontinental Cup. So there's um, there's quite a a decorated footballer when you look at it in those terms. Uh, He obviously broke into the England team quite early. And he was a very sought-after player when uh, Man United snapped him up for £17 million. Um, he won a Premier League and a Champions League double with United in his maiden season but uh, ultimately his time there is defined by injuries and I've, um, for the fun of it, I've made a list of injuries that he's had <laughs> after he joined United so um, he's too, he suffered a broken leg before they signed him and then in 2007-2008 he missed four games because of Patella tendonitis the following season he missed um, 60 games because of patella problems yeah further knee problems and missed five games towards the end of the 8 season. 09 season in the 9 10 season he missed 29 games because of knee problems in 2010 2011 he missed 30 games because of a thigh problem and then a further 10 games because of uh, knee problems so um it was all a, quite a sad end. uh and he he only made four Premier League appearances in his final three seasons with Man United before he was released so um, yeah it all came to a really sad end after he joined for United but I'll put him on this list because his days at Bayern were incredible, he, he had all that success four Bundesliga titles, three German Cups, a Champions League and Intercontinental Club and there's not many Englishmen that can say that
1: No, no that's, and you forgot his YouTube videos as well <laughs> trying to get himself a club, wasn't
2: he? Well yeah. He's trying to no trying to show that he's goodness. not injured. <laughs> didn't he trying mm-hmm. to show that he didn't have chronic knee issues. <laughs> yeah. Man City fell for it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> gave him a one year contract and he would he play like three minutes?
1: <laughs> yeah. No. No, I, I like that one. I must admit I did consider it, but um but yeah, that's no, good.
3: The only thing I was gonna add was um obviously how much sort of scepticism he had in in England when he first broke into the the England squad, myself included, because I didn't really know who he was. Um, And he sort of became a bit of a whipping boy for ages. And then I know we didn't have the greatest 2006 World Cup, but I think he ended up being like our our player of the tournament. Yeah, Some impressive performances. And I think people then sort of opened their eyes to him a bit and became a bit more accepted in the... Amongst the England fans.
1: Well, as soon as he went to Man United, I think. Well, that probably awesome. went out the door again.
3: Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a bit like Henderson England. No one, no one likes him outside of Liverpool fans. You yeah. know. Yeah. It's it's sort of a similar sort of thing. Just because he's not flashy and he he doesn't score bags of goals.
1: No, fair enough. Right, my number five was Gary Lineker. So over to you. Um,
3: my number five was Owen Hargreaves.
1: Oh, okay.
2: Dan? Number four. My number four, from for Kevin Keegan.
1: Oh, he's my number three. You can wait on that one if you want.
3: He was my number two.
1: Oh, we have to wait on that one then. Uh, Mine was David Platt. And I put him high because he spent a long time in Italy. And he was... At, overall very quite successful um i know obviously his time at juve wasn't particularly great but he still picked up a medal and um just the longevity really factor with me that's why i did him at number four uh and...
3: okay so this is kind of my obscure one which oh, okay. either you've never heard of dan or dan's got a book on him or is dan's number one um <laughs> I've gone with Herbert Gil-
2: Kilpin.
1: Was this eight, the one from the 1800s?
2: Uh, he's he's around then, yeah. He is my number one. I thought he <laughs> might be. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: I'll have brilliant. to leave that one then. Yeah, I'll look forward to hearing this one.
3: I will be. I was kind of swearing to having him at number one myself, and I was like, "Nah, I better not. <laughs> <laughs> Wish I'd done it now. hey
1: Rightio. So, uh number three. Damn. My number three is Chris Waddle. Oh, he's my number two.
2: He was my number one.
1: Wow. Oh. Well, we'll hold hold fire with that one and I'll get do you want me to get Keegan out of the way then? He's my number three. Uh yeah. Can do, yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Right, yeah. So, uh so what what number was he for you? Uh and
3: who we on Keegan? Uh yeah. number two.
1: Number two. And he was your number four, wasn't he? Um yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Okay, yeah. So with with Keegan. Um after six seasons at Liverpool, which included three league titles, Keegan wanted to leave, but there was a, a half a million release clause on his contract. Most of the uh, top European clubs at the time sort of shied away from that, because obviously at that time it's a tremendous amount of money. Um, but only one team met it, and that was uh, HSV Hamburg. Um also Liverpool weren't happy that he wanted to leave anyway, and I think he left quite unceremoniously. Um but anyway, so Hamburg met this release clause. Uh, mainly due to the owner being one of hitashi's kingpins that's a dr peter corn so that happened in 1977. so at the beginning of his tenure there uh things didn't really start particularly well because a lot of his teammates were quite jealous with obviously his high transfer fee and high wages um so they resorted into not passing him the ball he got sent off in a friendly and was also suspended by the club for eight for eight weeks. Eventually, he managed to turn his teammates on the side. He started to get invited to nights out and even the central defender even uh, gave him a bit of a haircut and permed his hair. But um, after his slow start to life there, his form came good in the second half of the season. So much so, they actually won the Ballon d'Or. But his club were only mid-table at the end of that season. So on to the second season now. Uh, Hamburg changed manager and promptly won the title. Keegan scored 11 goals in the last 12 games of that season and promptly won the Ballon d'Or again. The uh, Hamburg fans christened him um, Matchtig Mouse, which is Mighty Mouse, And there was also a song released as well. Um, with this second manager is very much uh quite up on um training standards to be prompt and uh, high levels of intense sensitivity training which didn't always um help keegan and he, he didn't particularly like it um but the following year uh hamburg reached the final of the champions league versus a certain nottingham forest forest played more or less 10 men behind the ball and beat them one nil and uh keegan made it known that he wanted to leave but again there was this half a million release clause that was added on a contract that he signed the season before uh, but to everyone's surprise which we mentioned on a podcast before he moved to southampton which was a very um out of the blue move and um during his time at Hamburg, he made 101 appearances. and He scored 40 times over that three seasons. And just to win the Ballon d'Or twice and to have such a rocky start, to turn it round, keep up that high consistency, that's why I put him on the top three because he's fantastic there. Well, obviously a little bit um, prima donna-ish, I think you could probably say, but he had all right to be, didn't he? He was a top player at Liverpool, top player there. so. Fair play to him. Got anything else to add there, guys?
3: No, I think you about covered it to be honest, mate. You've
2: you've covered it really well. The the only the only note I wanted to add is um it's in the context of I've I put it number four on my list and I was, I was this is me debating with myself whether he should be number four, should he be number two or whatever. And uh, I questioned his Ballon d'Or in 1978. It hamburger finished 10th in the league. England haven't even qualified for the World Cup in '78. How has he won that Ballon (laughs) d'Or? I just can't get my head around it at all. Do we know?
1: (laughs) And also, he played like half a season outstandingly, and that was it. It wasn't a full season either. It was just a a very random (laughs) win. I think.
2: Yeah, so I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't buy that. I think there's something fishy about that and that, that's that's the reason I put it number four but apart from that I thought you covered it brilliantly Chris
1: cool. right then Ann. you number
3: three Steve McManaman.
1: oh he's my uno
3: yeah I thought he might be uh, he's <laughs> my number two
1: cool go on then do you sure you get that get that
3: one uh yeah go on then um Ah. Sore subject, Stephen Manaman, because obviously I loved him as a kid and he left for Real Madrid. But mm-hmm. um obviously nine ninety nine he, he moved to Real Madrid and everyone thought he'd fail, you know, because Real Madrid were riddled with debt and political infighting and all this. And the manager who signed him was then got sacked, um, even before Manaman didn't kick the ball out of there. However, he, he became this instant hit out there and he, he set up a a late equaliser on his debut, scored on his home debut, and then he quickly established himself as a fans favourite and uh, a dressing room presence. Um, his career defining match came in the 2000 Champions League final when he turned in a match winning performance and grabbed a crucial second goal in a 3 0 win over Valencia. And um, even though that Real were buying all these Galaticos left, right, and centre, man still remained prominent in. In the team um it, and eventually saw him win the uh, la league in 2001 the following season saw a second chambers league win although he was only a substitute at that time and then by the time 0203 season came along he was obviously then a squad player although he still turned in some really memorable european performances and he finally moved back to england summer 2003 and former manager Vincent Del Bosque has constantly sorry consistently stated his admiration for m former man. Um and he's he's considered a club legend out there. And not bad for someone who was tipped to fail.
1: First Bosman one, wasn't he? The first high yeah. profile Bosman move.
3: Makes it even worse, Chris, that he left on a free.
1: Yeah. Very underrated player, I always thought.
2: Gutted. Absolutely um, yeah. gutted, I was.
1: <laughs> no. I made
2: quite a few notes on him actually. He um he sort of he, he, initially he was a winger, wasn't he, when he broke yeah. through at Liverpool. He was a really pacey winger and it was his dribbling ability which caught the eye. And he, he could cross the ball with either foot as well. And he was handed his debut by Soonest. Uh helped Liverpool win the FA Cup in ninety-two. He um was moved by Roy Evans into a more central position, which gave him the license to sort of free roam and use his dribb- dribbling abilities all over the pitch. And this really helped sort of define Liverpool's playing style um, to an extent. They, they were struggling at the time in the Premier League and they became sort of a, a fast-paced attacking team and uh, McManaman was really central to that. He was, he was their star man for a number of years, really, if, if you if you look at the football away from the goals. Um, It was after the ninety-five League Cup win. uh, McManaman scored two goals to help them win 2-1 against Bolton. And after the final, Sir Stanley Matthews said to McManaman, I like the way you dribble. You remind me of me when I was young. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Um, Before he left for Real, um, there'd actually been a £12 million bid from Barcelona in a, a deal that fell through. And Liverpool rejected an £11 million bid from Juventus. So it just goes to show how much interest there was in him at the time. And um Alex Ferguson tried numerous times to sign him for Man United. He was a he was a big fan. I think he just had this wet dream of gigs on the left and McMahon on the right. Oh, was that the goal he
3: scored against Celtic. Yeah, I remember yeah. that in his
1: own heart. Went
3: from went from right right back diagonally across the pitch and killed in, mm-hmm. in the last minute. And I remember that practically
2: went through the floorboards jumping up and down, <laughs> celebrating. Yeah, it's special. Uh, at Real, he was it was voted the um, the fans' player of the season a couple of times, wasn't he? Yeah. He, um, the the thing I noted is that he was uh, actually put up for sale after his first season because this this out it was thirty seven million pounds on Figo, and um, they were already been riddled with debt before that point, so they tried to sell all their top players, including McManaman. But he he wouldn't go. He um, he said he just got there. He he was really committed to the club. And he got on really well with all the players. And um, his attitude and his hard work really shone through. And in a time where there was a lot of change and a lot of moving parts at Real Madrid, he was one of the players that was most consistent. And he was very popular in the dressing room, like you said. He he helped knit everything together. And this this is off the pitch and on the pitch as well. Uh, I've got a quote from Johan Cruyff where he described at as the most useful player at the Galacticos because he was everyone's best partner on the pitch and uh, one-time manager George Valdano said that McManaman is connected to everybody. A football match is a game of little societies, and McManaman is a member of them all. Just goes to show how well he, he blended with his teammates, and that, to me, is is a, a big measure of um, an Englishman going abroad and being successful, going to a, a star team like that and being so integral to it.
1: Yeah, And also, I, he wasn't like really um, massive drops in form that he left. It was just that they just relegated him to a squad player. And I think there's so much infighting between the backroom staff and the president, Mr. Perez, that I think he was unfortunately the cadden fodder that that had to go because of it.
2: Yeah. It's Beckham's arrival as well, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> They kept, how, how him around. <laughs> they kept him around to help Beckham to settle in, and then by the end of the off-season, they just they released him, cut the ties, which was a bit harsh, and Beckham begged them to let him stay as well. Yeah. But yeah, he finished up with two Champions League titles, two La Liga titles. It's quite impressive.
1: Yeah. And he only got an FA Cup and a League Cup at Liverpool, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> well, says it all, really, doesn't they? Carlos, el que vuelva a servir al punto de penalti, Yuki del que toca. El que llega chuta oh
0: Okay,
1: so we're on to your I think it's Chris Waddle, isn't it, Dan?
2: For you. Uh yep. Let's talk about Chris Waddle. I put him at number three on my list. Whereabouts about do you guys have him?
1: Oh, I had him at number two
3: limit number one but oh brilliant. feel free to you start this one and I'll chip in
2: cool okay so um started out at Newcastle as a 19 year old and he quickly established himself as a dangerous attacking player alongside Kevin Keegan and Peter Beardsley it's uh, scored 46 goals in 170 games between 1980 and 85 and then he moved on to Tottenham for a fee of 590 thousand pounds which was decided by a tribunal uh, he went on to score his first hat-trick uh, in 1984 against QPR. I haven't this because Tottenham were 4 up at half-time and then QPR fought back to draw 5-5. Wow. <laughs> I hadn't come across that game before. Uh, he had uh, further success at Tottenham and uh, in 1989, Marseille came in for him. He signed for £4.5 million, pounds, which at the time made him the third most expensive player in the world incredible. And uh, we've talked about this a little bit before, where um, at Marseille at that time, he formed part of a front three with Jean-Pierre Papin and the Nabidi Pele. And um, his performances at Marseille um, catapulted him into legendary status. Uh, it was so dynamic down the wing. Uh, if, if you could get the chance to go on YouTube, I'd suggest going and look at some of the footage of Waddle at Marseille. The, the feints and the stepovers, the showboating, and then the, the ease of the goals as well. It was um, it was really great. He got the the nickname from fans, Magic Chris, and um, it was. Uh, thing of legends where apparently he could park wherever he wanted in the city. Uh, the traffic wardens, when they realised it was his car, they either ripped up his tickets or they kept them as souvenirs. He it was, it was an absolute city legend there in, in Marseille. Uh, he, he was there for three seasons and he won three successive league titles with Marseille. Uh, I know there's a backdrop of corruption and all that, but the, the, the achievements on the pitch were exceptional. Uh, he also reached the European Cup final in 1991 and he was uh, in 1998 at Marseille's centenary event. He was voted their second best player of all time. Wow. Which is, which is incredible. Uh, he's got 22 goals in total in 107 appearances for Marseille. Uh, with England, he made 62 appearances between 85 and 91 and obviously played a starring role in the 1990 World Cup. Uh, what I wanted to know as well, that he's still at Marseille until 1992. Why on earth has Graham Taylor not took him to the Euros in 92? I, I just cannot believe that. For me, that is just an absolute travesty. And um, after he left Marseille, he joined Sheffield Wednesday for a £1 million fee. And um, they picked up a bargain there because he um, he went on to win the Football Writers' Player of the Year in 92-93. He, he still had it he played for a few more years there. But yeah, for me, he's he's an underrated player. He is an absolute star. And I could totally understand why Ants got him at number one on this list. Waddle was incredible.
3: The the main reason I put him at number one is because I think out of all the names we've mentioned tonight, Uh, He is considered sort of God at Marseille. Oh yeah. I don't think think anyone else has got that status at any of these other clubs we've spoken about.
1: Still now, still now. An an Englishman
3: (laughs) being God at a French club is pretty much (laughs) unheard of, really, isn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know what? It's such a shame, you know, about whenever our generation or below, they hear, hear about Chris Roddle and what do people say the penalty miss in your the 1990. No, yeah. no, but that's what they talk about, isn't it? And you see all the fantastic stuff he's, he's done at Marseille and even at Chef Wednesday. I mean, like you were saying, in the 1991 uh, European Cup, it was called the um, final. He didn't take a penalty, did he, for fear of missing again? It hit him that much mentally. I think it affected, in a way, to an extent, his play as well, that miss. I th- I don't think he was the same player that came back to Marseille that went before the World Cup because of that miss. I think it really, really got to him, which it would do, wouldn't it? Because it was just such a bad penalty. And at that time as well, you probably would put all your money on him scoring it because he's that much of a superstar. Hmm. A bit like when Baggio missed, wasn't it? You know, he just sort of like, oh, for Italy. The battle of the mullets. The mullet versus the penalty. <laughs>
2: yeah, don't let them take a
1: penalty if they've had a mullet. <laughs> no, but I can understand why you put him at number one, and we're, we're all put him in the top three, so, mm. you know, speaks volumes, doesn't it?
0: Deuxième premier, et c'est Sen qui dégage ce ballon. Diméco dans <laughs> le paquet. Il n'est passé signalé en jeu face à Joel Matz et ça valait plus de Wallez. de Wallez. À zéro pour l'Olympique de Marseille après un temps d'arrêt de toute la défense parisienne. Matz, ce n'en
3: revient pas. Tout le monde croit. I think that just leaves the uh, the old fella. Herbert oh Gilbert.
1: yeah. Yeah. Okay. Which one of you two is going to educate me on 1900 uh, football then?
2: Um, I don't mind. I, I, I struggled to find too much detail on him, if I'm honest. But, um... I've got a fair bit. I mean, I don't mind starting it and Dan yeah, can push off. I, and... I struggled. I'd, I'd searched extensively and I struggled to find much. Yeah, I mean, I'll, the bare bones.
3: I'll say I've got a fair bit. I've... Go on. Probably, probably the most notes are written tonight, but that's not saying much. All right. Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So he was born in Nottingham in 1870. Um. He was the son of a butcher. And after leaving school, he worked as a lace warehouse assistant in the city. Uh, He was a keen footballer and aged only 13. He'd taken part at the foundation of a small amateur club named after Italian hero, Giuseppe Garibaldi, um, whose players wore red shirts. Uh, However, he then went on to play for Dan's favourite team, Notts Notts Olympic. Oh no, it's Blackburn Olympic, you like. Yeah, yeah, I apologise. Yeah, Notts (laughs) Olympic. Um, and then for St. Andrews, in, 1981, so in, in 1891, Kilpin moved to Turin in Italy in order to work for Edoardo Bozio, an Italian-Swiss textile merchant with links to a Nottingham lace manufacturer. In the same year, uh, Bozio founded Internationale Torino, uh, believed to be the first Italian football club. Kilpin played for the team becoming the first ever Englishman to play uh, football abroad. And during this time, he took part in the first two editions of the Italian Football Championship, losing both times in the final against uh, Genoa. After that, he moved to Milan. Um, And it was in this city where Kilpin played a role in establishing the landscape of European club football by founding a team known as the Milan Cricket and Football Club uh, on the 13th of December 1899. It was Kilpin who decided upon the red, the famous red and black colour scheme, which Milan wears to this day. And he spent nine seasons at the club, making a total of twenty-three appearances, uh, scoring seven goals. Um, and he then went on to lead the uh, Rossoneri to two more titles in nineteen oh six and nineteen oh seven. Because obviously, he went on to be their manager. I think uh, a man, player manager for a bit. Um, and yeah. I like me and Dan just said, trying to find something on is quite hard because despite founding one of Europe's greatest ever football clubs and playing such a key role, um, no one knows anything about him. <laughs> That's pretty much all I have.
2: I've, I've not got, you've, you've you've got more notes than I had to be fair, apart from I've got one anecdote where apparently he was, um, his personality was is a little bit sort of um, eccentric with attention to detail. I, there's probably there's probably other terms for that, but um, apparently on his wedding night in 1905, uh, Kilpin received an invitation by telegram to play a match against Jell- Genoa the following day. And promptly the next morning, he reminded his new wife that he would only agreed to marry her on the understanding that she would not prevent him from playing football. <laughs> <laughs> he went and played the match. Oh, <laughs> wow! No, I didn't I didn't find that anywhere. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I I think it's just incredible that uh, it's an Englishman that's gone abroad for work reasons and he's ended up founding AC Milan and then being player manager and playing in the team that's won. I think he won titles in 1901, 1906, 1907. So he's won three league titles with AC Milan as well as founding them. So I just had to make him number one.
3: Yeah, it was kind of why I was considering making number one, but then I thought, well, he hasn't. Won a great deal, so I knocked him back a little bit. But founding one of the best teams in football is you know, it's hard to knock that. Yeah,
1: no, that's great. That is,
3: there's apparently where, where we used to live in Nottingham, um, there's like a mini museum, I think, I think it's a butcher's or something now, and it's got an AC Milan sticker in the window.
2: Oh, wow,
3: of like the old house he used to live in.
2: I did read that his, um, his gravestone was found in Milan. And it was in a Protestant graveyard. And once they'd found it, AC Milan paid to have it uh, restored, which was a, a nice gesture. And apparently um, some fans will go and visit it and touch it. It uh, was a <laughs> part of um, AC Milan history. Yeah. Feeling humbled by it.
1: <laughs> no, fair no. <enough. laughs> wow. That's definitely a worthy number one, to be honest. I
3: knew Dan would have it.
2: <laughs> have we got any special mentions uh, I, I give a special mention to Jay Bothroyd uh,
0: okay.
2: who um, after a pretty average career in England he, he went to Japan to see out his final years really but he's been there six years now and he's got 73 goals in one hundred and three, 150 appearances and um, he's still turning out every now and then for Sepura, age thirty-nine, so I think he's uh, he's made a good go of it in Japan.
1: Definitely. Did you have any?
3: Uh, ant? Uh, yeah, I had one. Um, I had Michael Bridges because he was a bit injury-hit in England, but he he went to Australia for the second time in Newcastle Jets, and he was uh, he was a little bit of a hit out there. And I think he's I think he ended up being the manager for a little bit.
0: Oh, uh, I think oh, he, really? he
3: scored he scored quite a few goals out there.
0: Oh, okay. This was like
3: at the tail end of his career when everyone written him off because he was a croc.
1: Yeah.
3: And he's now apparently a well-known TV personality out there. Well, brilliant. Who knew?
1: The only one I had was Jimmy Greaves. 13 appearances for Milan, nine goals, one season. There about. Got, I think he got a bit homesick and then went back to England.
2: He didn't want to go, did he? No, he didn't. He was actually a bit
1: forced. Yes, forced. He was trying to buy himself out of the contract as well. <laughs> but it was a bit forced. Got a few um, socials as well, guys. So, from the 80s and 90s football, they've given me a top five. So, i run, run, run this through you. Okay. Be with you guys. So, at number five, Paul Gascoigne. None of us mentioned him. Still loved by the fans, sensational when fit. If only it wasn't for injuries. Number four, David Beckham. Number three, Glenn Hoddle, Monaco, won French League and possibly played his best football in France, although not really seeing any TV coverage. David Platt, number two, did really well in Italy when it was the best league in the world, very underrated player. And number one, Chris Waddle. He was one of our best players in europe during his time there lost uh, in the final to red star for the european cup but formed formidable trio up front with papam on a p de pere blue magician as he was known still loved by fans today thank you very much for those and um yeah, good got one from alex uh stewart now part he said david becker then uh, uh, Pete Spencer, or Irish Pete 67 his Twitter handle. He wanted to add Steve Hunt at New York Cosmos. Must be up there. No one near, knew who he was before he moved there. Um, Dennis Turat, too. He played with Pele, Beckenbauer, and Chaleliga. And then he also said Kevin Keegan overcame team not accepting him to lead the title. Then said Owen Hargreaves, Chris Waddle. Um, then I had FT L O L podcast. He said, What a great topic to do. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Off the top of his head, he would say McManaman, Beckham, and Laurie Cunningham at Madrid.
2: Yeah, that was sorry, that was another honorable mention for me. I just didn't yeah. talk about him because um you already spoke thing. about him, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. A Good shout,
1: yeah. Uh, Chris Kelly put uh, Kevin Keegan at Hamburg. Um, and then um, he actually put Jay Bothroyd as well. Did very well with Japanese football as well. So that's everything from our socials.
3: Very good. There was one that surprised me. I don't think he was a success out there, but I didn't realise that Akinfenwa started in Lithuania.
1: Yes, he did.
3: Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, no, I, I, I just thought he was a homeboy that did you know, played for every club under the sun in yeah. England. Didn't realise he'd actually started abroad.
1: Yeah, that wasn't it. I think he had quite a good scoring record there as well. Not too yeah, bad. Yeah,
3: I think he, he, I think he suffered a bit of racism, unfortunately. Which is yeah,
1: yeah, back yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's the end of the top ten. Whose pick is it next time? Would it be
3: Dan's, I Dan's.
1: Think. So, Dan, go, get your heads scratching for your top 10 if you've already got one and can tell us now. Oh,
2: not no, time.
1: not yeah, yet. That's fine. Yet. Just let us know. Uh, yeah, any questions? Obviously, email us at uh, var at the bar to 2020 at gmail.com or you can uh, tweet us at var at the bar or Facebook us at var at the bar. So you guys ready for a quiz then?
3: Yeah, why not? Yeah, bring it on.
1: 13 questions today, guys. So a bit shorter than normal. Thought okay. we'd just ease ourselves in. <laughs> Question one. Which Bayern Munich player and French international had a minor heart operation last Kingsley Corman. That's quick. Yeah, well done. 1-0 out. Oh. Which Premier League has spent the least during the summer? Burnley. Uh, no. Norwich. Uh, no. Brentford. No. One more guess each. Do you want a clue? They've sold a lot, or <laughs> well, they've sold their best player. Southampton. Yeah. Well done.
0: <clears throat>
1: okay. On the 22nd of August, a Le- League One match was abandoned due to home fans throwing missiles at Marseille players, mainly Dimitri Paya. Who was the home team? Was it Nice? Yeah, correct. They weren't being very nice there, were they? <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> I
2: was lucky I was watching it when it happened.
1: Yeah, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> Okay, so this is a name the player. So I'll give you the clubs. So the first one is Zeleniga, Taplis, Wolfsburg, Man City, Roma, Inter. Um Yeah, well done. Three one. Okay, this is another one, another name the player. Leeds, Swindon on loan. Newcastle, Villa, Milner. Yep. Well done, Dan.
3: Well done. Yeah. Good shout.
1: Okay. So we've got a gamble question. So we're going all the way back to the FA Cup final in 1995 between Man U and Everton. So it's a head to head. So I want you to name... Um, the starting lineup for Man United. So you've got, got to pick the start one out of the 11. So I'll go with Ant to start with the first player. Schmeichel. Michael. Yeah, correct. Giggs? He's a sub mate. <laughs> um, so with Sha Gary Neville, Steve Bruce, Gary Pallister, Irwin... Keen, Ince, Butt, Sharp, McLare, and Mark Hughes. Lucky there, mate. Four two.
3: Well, that was the shortest gamble we've ever had.
1: It was, wasn't it? <laughs> it wasn't a gamble. Why'd you call it that? <laughs> okay. Next one is a gamble one. So we'll be looking at doing a damn for his first um, gamble. So that's Jermaine Defoe played for seven teams. Who are they? So what number do you want to start us off with? Four. Okay, you've gone four. Five. Ant's normally good at these.
2: I'll have to go six.
1: You're going to go full house, Ant?
3: I definitely know six, whether I know the last one. Uh, I'll give it a go.
1: Full house. When you're ready, mate.
3: Uh, Spurs. Yeah. West Ham yeah um Sunderland yeah um Rangers
1: correct uh Portsmouth yeah you're on to five
3: I mean is it seven
1: seven yeah
3: god um uh, Bournemouth
1: yeah well done mate one
3: more oh god Um, American team Toronto
1: said Toronto said American team, Canadian team, Canadian team, somewhere out there. (laughs) But yeah, you're right. Well done, Ah, well done, and yeah, can't do much about that, I'm afraid, Dan.
3: I couldn't remember if he went to LA Galaxy or not, but that was the team, wasn't it?
1: <laughs> no, Roger, I think he spent a season there, then came back to Rangers.
3: Yeah, I'm, I might know my football teams. I don't know my geography.
1: <laughs> okay, next, question eight. Who became the Holland boss in August this year, replacing Frank De Boer?
2: Oh, um, is it Dick Advocat?
1: Uh, no. You're sort of close around that sort of... Sphere, a manager. Danny Blind? He's managed in the Prem. Just hitting? No. You're very close. Oh,
3: it's on the tip of my tongue and I can't think Louis, of it. Louis van Gaal.
1: Yes, right well ah! <laughs> No, it's, 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 He's on his third stint as, as Arsenal manager. I couldn't quite get it <laughs> off my tongue. <laughs> right, so another head-to-head. So this is the first 11 for Real against Liverpool in the Champions League final. So this is the famous Carius bloomer one. this is a clue. So can you name me Dan to start off with the start any of the players on the starting lineup for Real Madrid?
2: I don't remember this one very well. well you remember the substitutes?
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One especially, eh? Ramos. Oh. So, Joe Ramos, yep, good start.
3: Um, Courtois.
1: No. no. Okay. That was Navas. Uh, so it was, uh, so we had, um, Ramos, Marciano, Baran, Cabaljo, um, Modric, Kroos, Esco, Benzema, Ronaldo and then there was a famous Gareth Bale. Shortest gamble question we've ever had, Nat.
3: Oh, <laughs> I don't sound like Jamie Redknapp.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so that's 5-4. Dan's pulled that back.
3: Gareth Bale Got... didn't start though, did he?
1: No, no, no he didn't.
3: Okay. No. Just, just checking that. <laughs> That's cool. Kick to end, didn't it? Yeah, I remember him coming on.
1: Okay, so number 10 It's a gamble. One Andrew Johnson played for five teams. Who are they? Ants, first gamble.
3: Andrew Johnson, uh,
1: three. Okay, you think you do four. Yeah go,
3: go, yeah, go for it. I can't think of a fifth
2: one. Okay. Um, Fulham.
1: Uh, yeah. That's...
2: Crystal Palace. Yeah. Birmingham.
1: Yeah. Oh,
2: Birmingham. Everton.
1: Yeah. Do you know the the other one? Just for a clip. Full house.
2: No. <laughs> I didn't know.
1: <laughs> QPR. Um, oh. Yeah, I
3: wouldn't have got that.
1: Well done. I think that's when they came up, wasn't it? And spent all that money on a load of... Try. <laughs> a
2: bit harsh on Andrew Johnson.
1: Not on Andy Johnson, I mean on some of the other players. Ah,
2: uh, okay.
1: okay another, another gamble question, but this is for managers. So, Paul Lambert has managed nine clubs. How many can you can you uh, gamble with? Or how many do you know?
3: Who are you going to first?
1: Uh, sorry, and. Um, Lambert, I'll start
3: with four
2: go five okay six, okay, uh, you can name the ant I'm struggling,
3: Norwich yeah tolchester, yeah um villa,
1: yep, yeah.
3: oh scare me then <laughs> <laughs> uh Ipswich.
1: Yeah, that's his last one.
3: How many will we get? Five or six?
1: You've got to get six, mate. Two more. All
3: right. Uh, Stoke.
1: Yeah. Last one. Uh, Wolves. Gone Wolves. Some other Midlands club. Yeah, you can't can't beat him at these, can we?
3: We can. Dan beat me in the last one.
1: (laughs) Only on starting lineup. (laughs) You obviously I, mean, don't, I,
3: I don't know me Andrew Johnson clubs, obviously.
1: He yeah, didn't go for it, though. So 6-5. Two more questions to go. Oof. Who took over as manager of Bournemouth this summer?
2: Scott Parker.
1: Yes. Oh, beat me to it. Going to a final one. So I'm going to give you a clue. You've got to name the player. So the first clue... Which current Premier League striker has over fifty caps for his country scoring twenty-four times? I'll give you both a couple of goes. Jordan are you? No. <laughs>
3: That's a, a good shout, though.
1: Very good shout actually.
3: Fifty caps for his country. Um, yeah.
1: It's a good good ratio, isn't it? Almost on every other game. I
3: don't know. Bamiyang.
1: No. So the next one is, he's been playing in the Premier League for the past four seasons and has scored each season a minimum of 10 league goals. Give you guys another guess with it. It's a final question as well. Draw. We're going to have to wrestle up a tiebreaker quickly. Um, Chris Wood. Ant wins the game. Well oh done. bloody
2: hell, that's a great shout. <laughs>
1: wow. And then the last one I had put is he's he's been captain for his country. So I
3: don't think that would have helped me to be honest. No. <laughs> no, I would have
1: probably then given another one, I would have quickly looked it up. But yeah, so Ant wins. So that's it from another action-packed episode. Um, like I said before, if you need want to email any. Of your lists, then please do to var at the bar2020 at gmail.com. And you can either tweet us at vr at the bar1 or Facebook us at var at the bar. Got anything else to add there, lads?
2: No, yeah. I don't think so. So we'll get something out very shortly with the, the list for the next episode.
1: Brilliant. That'd be great. We'll work it onto Twitter and all the social media feeds. Yeah. More people get involved. It'd be great so that's me saying bye bye then
2: bye for now.
1: See, see you later Is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network